Welcome to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. In this series, we ask experts and thought leaders from around the globe, how do we build a more sustainable and inclusive world in this decade and beyond? This week, we're delighted to welcome Roy Swan of the Ford Foundation to talk about the role foundations and large philanthropies can play in building a more sustainable and inclusive economy. Our financial and social returns, uh, I think, have been surprising to many people who wouldn't have expected we'd be able to do well and do good. For me, I see ESG as just the first step in the pathway to the quantification of externalities. And I think once we get there, impact investing and traditional investing will become one. Yes, foundations have a bigger role to play. If you're a tax-advantaged organization, can we do more than 5% is, I think it's a worthwhile question for every foundation to ask. Now, Ford is, of course, one of the largest private foundations in the world. It has an endowment of $16 billion. Roy joined after an illustrious career on Wall Street to run Mission Investments, which is the pioneering program to invest $1 billion in funds that are trying to achieve both attractive financial and social returns. Roy talks about some of the thinking behind Mission and its very encouraging performance to date. And he also identifies three big barriers that he thinks we need to overcome if we're going to scale this kind of investing. Roy, thanks for joining us. Perhaps you could start by explaining how it was that you ended up uh, moving from Wall Street into the world of sustainable finance and impact investing. Yeah, thanks. First of all, thanks very much for having me. So I, I came to um, the world of impact investing um, by, by accident. I tell people, uh, many people know that I'm a failed pre-med. When I was a teenager, I realized that I was going to have to work for a living and um, thought that thought wouldn't it be a dream to make money um, by helping people? What if that was the way um, you were paid? You were paid to help people. And I saw doctors um, as um, kind of the role model for that type of uh, position. And so I asked my wealthy friends at, at Princeton, um, how do I make as much money as quickly as possible so I can go to med school with a few dollars in a savings account? And they said, you got to go to Wall Street. Uh, make a long story short, uh, I abandoned my dream of, of medical school, wandered my way through a series of investment banking, finance, some general management roles, and ended up in my um, uh, dream job at, at Morgan Stanley. Uh, and so here I am, and uh, I still pinch myself to be so fortunate to have achieved my childhood dream of being in a place where uh, I am uh, paid to help people in a, in a very tangible way. Any regrets about medical school? Um, I finally let that go about 15 years ago. I'm, uh, I'm approaching 60. Uh, so I, it was a long time. You know, the one thing... Uh, one concept I learned along the way was the concept of scalability. And what I learned is that capital is a lot more scalable than my personal labor. Okay, so let's move on to Mission Investments, of which you were the inaugural head when it launched in 2017. Uh, can you give us a sense of, of what it is that Mission does and, and what's different about it? So the Ford Foundation is a social justice foundation 
5% of our resources are expected to be deployed every year um, in a way that helps advance human welfare. Um, or that raised the question in Darren Walker's mind, it had been raised in others' minds, but Darren Walker, president of Ford Foundation, said, you know, um, what about the other 95% of our resources? How are we using our, those resources? And can we use more um, toward our, our mission? So that was the um, uh, genesis question for the creation of the program uh, that I run here, Mission Investments. And so uh, we have um, additional resources beyond grant capital um, to be used to try to advance the foundation's mission. So that's, that's the, the backdrop. And at least in terms of scale, it was more ambitious than any foundation has attempted before, wasn't it? We're not the first foundation um, to answer that question with um, the question of, can we do more with the 95%? Uh, we're not the first uh, to move in that direction, uh, but we're the largest. And, and so our $1 billion commitment of market rate seeking capital, double bottom line capital. That is to say, our goal is to, to uh, and really test the question, um, uh, can, can one generate positive social returns and uh, positive financial returns in a way that are acceptable to an endowment? The, the allocation process was designed in a very thoughtful way. Um, first of all, it was a $1 billion commitment. That commitment was to be um, spread over 10 years. Um, so there's, um, there's an ability um, to methodically examine progress. The second thing is uh, there is technically no return requirement placed on our group. Um, and that's because of you know, everyone agreed, you know, this is an experiment that's seen acceptable given the mission of the Ford Foundation, which is to advance the human welfare. Uh, but rather than place a specific return requirement, um, we, we were asked to come up with ways um, to explore how we can, with integrity, how do we find the frontier of positive social returns and positive financial returns that works for us? Okay, so last year, Ford published a kind of five-year scorecard for mission investments. Um, can you give us a sense of how things have gone so far? So far, so good. Um, our financial and social returns, um, I think, have been um, surprising to many people who wouldn't have expected uh, we'd be able to do well and do good. Under normal circumstances, and given that we restarted J-Curve with our annual allocations of endowment capital every year, at the five-year mark, normal expectation would be that we still be in negative territory because we haven't, um, in a significant way, haven't started harvesting our, uh, our investment returns yet. Um, uh, it, was, it was remarkable to me, and I think uh, to others, that um, as of uh, the end of uh, 2021, basically our five-year mark, um, our returns were uh, 28%. Now we were, you know, Darren was um, very careful about including um, lots of, of preamble to that number. First of all, it's not an apples to apples comparison with any uh, foundation endowment because we're um, 100% private markets. Number two, we didn't, we don't have, a, we don't manage liquidity. 
So for many um, endowments, you'll have a cash reserve that earns no money or very little uh, uh, money. And we, we aren't chest thumping about how high those returns are because they were also in a period of unusually high financial returns. And by the way, um, we had great uh, social returns from our um, affordable housing portfolio, financial inclusion, uh, diverse fund managers. Uh, for example, diverse fund managers, uh, we outperformed the market um, in a considerable way. So our social returns performance has been great. Our financial return performance have been great. But the point of making that public was not to say that, oh, everyone can make 28%. Oh, no, look at, let's pat ourselves on the back. It was really to try to address what appears to be an automatic response that it's impossible to generate um, reasonable, positive social impact and reasonable, reasonable financial returns. You're listening to Bridges 2030 Visions, a series about how we accelerate progress towards a more sustainable and inclusive world over the next decade. All of those caveats notwithstanding, um, what do you think you've learned so far about how to do this well? So the trick is similar to traditional investing. It is portfolio construction. And in this case, portfolio construction is not just a matter of fixed income, early stage uh, venture capital, later stage private equity, public equities, but it's also what areas of impact, how do we decide what categories of impact fit with the Ford Foundation's mission, expertise, and um, uh, and in, in, what, in what areas are there investment fund managers who have demonstrated um, commercial ability to generate both positive financial and social returns? And then the next step is manager selection and a rigorous due, pro, due, due diligence process uh, where you're able to um, make bets on talented people. When you create that type of filter, which requires, and I'm going to stress this, an additional level of, 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 of diligence and portfolio construction that goes beyond traditional investing, um, we believe that's a general framework for success. We're just getting started. So um, we may refine our selection process. Um, we may refine our portfolio construction. That is to say, we may, um, during this economic period, for example, um, uh, are there reasons to pivot uh, into private credit. We expect that we may allocate to public equities um, sometime in the reasonably near future. But other than that, we will, we will stay the course and continue to learn as we go and share as, as we learn so that others can um, learn from our successes and failures. Okay, so just on that, on that last point, when you publish a five-year scorecard, it, it talks a lot about how you want to encourage other asset owners and foundations to invest more for impact. What does that look like in practice? Because our work is so high profile in our, in our world, we benefit from an enormous volume of volume of inbound inquiry. We're invited to participate in conferences, to give speeches, participate on panels. Uh, we also try to write 
um, to public uh, to, to publish um, content. So um, um, we have no shortage of things to do during our days. Our days are very full. Our weeks are very full. Um, but we see that as um, a vital element of our work. So we're not just investors. Um, we consider ourselves uh, to be sounding boards uh, for those uh, who want to join us uh, in this journey. I guess zooming out a bit, um, what do you think are the, are the big systemic barriers for progress over the next few years? I think the number one thing is fear. The number two thing is lack of leadership. Number, th number three thing is lack of trust. So the fear is, um, the fear relates to the incentive structures that exist in many um, uh, investment organizations. The incentive structures are um, uh, oftentimes based on financial returns and, uh, and rankings. If you've been um, directed by your trustees, your board, whomever, to try to achieve the highest absolute returns, and then someone raises the idea of impact investing, and you don't know how that's going to work out, then um, it's hard for me to imagine why someone, um, there are probably aren't that many people who are willing to put their compensation and stature and status on the line uh, to, test, to test a notion. Um, the lack of leadership, I would say, um, is what, what I mean by that is if you work for an organization, um, you do what your management tells you to do or you find another place to work. And so this comes down to a question of the leadership coming from the top saying, let's give impact investing a try. Um, without that leadership, I have a hard time understanding how it's going to happen. The data point um, is one that um, I think um, could really um, change the game if we had the right type of data that could be quantified financially. And let's take the current ESG, um, uh, all the noise in the ESG uh, sector. There's a lot of backlash one could see ESG, as I do, as a risk framework. It's a disclosure-based risk framework where um, companies providing information um, can help investors make decisions based on that information and manage risk. Similar to what, so SASB, Sustainable Accounting Standard Boards, is basically, SASB saying, well, there's also information that's not um, in GAAP form, you know, generally accepted accounting principle form, that's also important to understand. So, so, so how, do you, how do you quantify both negative and positive externalities? So how do you turn ESG into numbers? And once you do that, you have better information for investors to include in their investment modeling. But even more importantly, you have great information for policymakers to help them gauge externalities, positive and negative, and figure out, you know, maybe how to regulate better, how to force internalities, uh, in internalization of externalities. Um, how, how do you tax properly? So, so for me, I see ESG as just the first step in the pathway to the quantification of externalities. And I think once we get there, impact investing and traditional investing will become one because 
you'll have all the information necessary to make investment decisions. You mentioned scalability of capital before. Do you think foundations can potentially play a bigger role in mobilizing capital from right across the spectrum? Um, the answer is, is, is yes, foundations have a bigger role to play. If you're a tax-advantaged organization, can we do more than 5%? Is I think it's a worthwhile question for every foundation to ask. Point two, um, when it comes to pension funds, public pension funds among them, I'd love for the U.S. to catch up with certain parts of Europe who um, have broadened their view of fiduciary obligation beyond that which existed 100 years ago. So the U.S., like many countries in Europe, has to come up with um, a reasonable approach to revisit uh, the general understanding of fiduciary obligation. Because, again, we have the fear factor. Um, um, why should any employee of a public pension fund, for example, put their jobs at risk um, by taking what might be a more reasonable uh, approach to fiduciary obligation when uh, the, the tradition and expectations and norms today um, require behavior with a, within a more um, constrained uh definition of fiduciary obligation. Okay, one last question, which is uh, one we ask to everybody. How optimistic are you feeling, given the current direction of travel, about what can be achieved? Oh, I feel absolutely optimistic. I mean, there's, there's so much talk in these areas. And you got some really smart people, you know, every angle of the argument. And, and, and when you have a lot of smart people focused on something, then I think wisdom... Um, Prevails, wisdom's in, 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 in a uh, great position to prevail. Millennials, was it Gen Z folks? Um, those people are all very much attuned to the impact of, of um, uh, investments on, on society. So all the pieces are in place, and we're you. We here at the Ford Foundation, there's a whole crew of us that are working to make sure that happens. You've been listening to Bridges 2030 Visions with me, James Taylor. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, why not like, subscribe, share, download extra episodes, or even leave us a nice five-star review somewhere. Thanks for joining us. 